backlash against new booze rules. I recognize absolutely that these restrictions are yet another challenge the restaurant and the food service industry has had to face. Why the bar and restaurant industry says Dr. Henry blew it. Teachers nervous about returning to school. I'm deeply concerned about what will happen once we see the full effect of what happens over Christmas and New Year's. What they want from the provincial government. And another snowfall warning. Adding to the avalanche danger and trouble on the roads. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We'll have those stories for you and more in just a moment. But breaking news off the top in, involving a backcountry skiing accident near Whistler. BC Emergency Health Services says they were called just before 1 o'clock this afternoon to an incident near Brandywine Falls sledding area. Two ground ambulances and one air ambulance were dispatched. The coroner, Whistler Search and Rescue, and the RCMP are also said to be involved. Reports indicate the person may have struck a tree or fallen down a tree well while backcountry skiing. We're going to bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon right now with a snowfall warning to start off the new year, making it very dangerous in the backcountry right now. Christy, what's the latest? Well, we've got a very high risk of avalanche all across the coast mountains as well as the Sea to Sky uh, Mountains. Now, we've had 50 centimeters of snow in the last 24 hours, and we've got a ton more on the way over the next few days. So it has prompted Avalanche Canada to issue a concern. But what's really dangerous is that it's not just for the alpine. It's for the tree line and below. So the entire mountain under a high avalanche risk. So what does this mean? Well, travel in this terrain is not recommended. Do not go out in the backcountry. Don't go outside of the boundaries on a ski hill. Tomorrow through the weekend. So for the next three days, that's con the concern. And natural avalanches in this scenario are likely human travel triggered avalanches are very likely. And as you mentioned, a snowfall warning to talk about as well for the Coquihalla, up to 25 centimeters of snow. I'll show you when we can expect the strong or the most amount of snow when I come back. Lots to consider this weekend for sure. Thanks, Christy. Some more breaking news for you now. Several people are hurt after an apartment fire in Duncan. Let's take a look at the scene near Lewis Street and Howard Avenue. The flames have been extinguished, but several first responders are still on scene. North Cowichan, South End, Maple Bay, Crofton and Duncan Fire Departments were all called out to help. Six people have been either airlifted or transported to various Vancouver Island hospitals. It's not known how badly they have been hurt. It's also not known yet how this fire started or how much damage has been done. And five people are recovering in hospital after an apartment fire in Burnaby. The fire broke out around 1 o'clock in the morning at a building on Pender Street near Ingleton Avenue. It originated in a suite on the second floor of the building. Two people were pulled from the structure and revived at the scene before being taken to hospital. Three others were also injured. The cause of the fire is under investigation. And firefighters in Maple Ridge are working to determine what sparked an overnight fire at a local hotel. Crews were called to the Art Infinity Hotel on Lougheed near 216th around 4 a.m. this morning. Flames could be seen shooting through the roof of the hotel. At least seven people were staying there at the time, but all of them got out safely and uninjured. The investigation again is ongoing. Now to the COVID-19 situation in B.C. Dr. Bonnie, Hel uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry and Health Minister Adrian Dix 
wrapping up 2020 with their 160th briefing of the year. And they announced 683 new cases. That brings our total number of cases to 51,983. Sadly, eight more people have lost their lives to COVID-19. 374 people are in hospital, 76 in the ICU. We have just over 7,800 active cases in our province and more than 9,300 people are under public health monitoring. Now, those stubbornly high numbers leading Dr. Henry to issue that last-minute adjustment to tonight's last call. That's right. Many bars and restaurants have been scrambling to deal with the 8 p.m. cutoff of liquor sales, which they say will hurt their bottom line. And as Paul Johnson reports, the provincial health officer explained that she's simply responding to concerns that came from the industry. Chopping the leaks just so and putting the finishing touches on their camembert-stuffed arancini. White Rock's Barique restaurant had big hopes for New Year's Eve. Our original plans were to do a, a countdown at 10 p.m. Um, liquor service until then. So Barik had gone big, ordering an extra $1,000 of high-end liquor, a lot for them. Owner Josiah Tam was prepping for the big night when he got the news late Wednesday. It was just kind of a, a kind of like a sucker punch kick in the gut that we just were completely blindsided by. If Victoria was going to take away any two hours of liquor sales in a calendar year, these are the two that hurt the most. That second sitting on New Year's, which many had built elaborate plans around, multi-course meals paired with thoughtfully curated drinks. Restaurant owners tell us they get it. Sacrifices have to be made. But what leaves them feeling particularly burned about this was that if there is some new dangerous trend or data that required this last-minute change, that hasn't been communicated to them. Why couldn't you have given us more notice? Mark von Schelwitz is with the industry group Restaurants Canada. We expressed to them just you know how important it is to get as much advance notice as possible. We've been obviously signaling for some time about the issues around New Year's Eve. Dr. Bonnie Henry was asked about the thinking behind her decision at Thursday's briefing. The issue really is that later in the evening when people are, are drinking a fair amount, um, we tend to see groups getting together and it being very difficult to maintain the, the COVID safety plans. Restaurants like Barique will try to unload as much of their surplus liquor through off sales, but the New Year's clawback of 2020 is still likely to leave a bitter taste, as BC's restaurants so far have been champions of COVID compliance. To be quite honest, I don't think I've been this angry all year. In White Rock, Paul Johnson, Global News. We're hearing a lot of restaurants have been uh, getting hundreds of cancellations, mm -hmm. Keith. Uh, Keith Baldry joins us from Victoria with more. The health minister also weighed in on the last call controversy today. Yeah, I kicked off the briefing today with questions for Dr. Bonnie Henry and Adrian Dix on why there was such short notice uh, given the restaurant industry and about the science. Why pick uh, 8 p.m.? But Adrian Dix waded into this as well, defending the decision, sort of putting some context in, into it, pointing out that BC isn't uh, sort of a uh, is the exception to the rule when it comes to restaurants because you cannot go into a restaurant in Ontario, Manitoba, or Alberta and sit down and either have a drink or a meal. There's simply no in-person dining in those provinces. They are locked down. We haven't locked down in BC for some time, a point he tried to make today. We're the only place 
west of the Atlantic provinces anyway, where there is uh, in-restaurant dining at present. So we're going to continue to work at that and work with the industry. I think uh, the industry on balance has done an excellent job, and we're going to continue to work with them to try, because I think what they do is important and essential, which is serving food to people. Now, if you're in the restaurant industry, uh, don't uh, take the foot off the gas yet because we're not out of the woods here, folks, when it comes to COVID-19. Our numbers are still very high. Our hospitalization rates, our ICU rates, our number of deaths far exceed what they were in March when restaurants were fully locked down and then they were opened up to just take out service. We could return to those days if we see sort of the, the spread of the new UK variant strain, which is much more infectious and transmissible. If our numbers start to spike because of what we see with gatherings because of Christmas and New Year's in January, I wouldn't be surprised to see Dr. Bonnie Henry and Adrian Dix enact even more tougher, stringent health measures to curb the spread of the virus. All right, we'll see what uh, 2021 brings, Keith. Thank you. One more note about the pandemic effect on New Year's Eve. A reminder, there are no free rides on transit tonight. TransLink announced earlier this month that providing free rides would be inconsistent with provincial public health orders. People taking transit tonight should also expect a normal weekday service schedule with no extended New Year's Eve hours. TransLink says it hopes to resume free transit next New Year's Eve. Just a few more days left in B.C.'s winter break, and there are concerns about what teachers and students will go back to. Some schools in the U.K. are extending their holiday. A new, potentially more contagious variant of COVID-19 circulates in that region. But as Aaron MacArthur reports, there are no plans, at least not yet, to delay the return to school in B.C. The sounds of the schoolyard just days away. And people are still questioning the wisdom of sending kids back. We remain concerned about the situation in BC schools, particularly in districts like Surrey, where we have very high levels of transmission in the community. And in fact, we're more concerned now with the new variant of COVID that we know is in BC. While the fear from teachers and parents has been present from the start of the school year, the emergence of the COVID variant has people wondering if a delay isn't warranted. We must always act swiftly when circumstances change. The UK has pushed back the start of classes. It's not the same being sat at a computer. BC in a much different stage of the pandemic. And there are no plans to alter course. We pulled together a school task force to learn from what we have been through in the last few weeks. And so we have engaged in that process and people are preparing to make sure that we can go back to school safely. Despite the thousands of exposure notices that have swirled around schools, according to government data, actual transmission inside classrooms remains low. But the liberal education critic says she's fielding calls from concerned parents and teachers asking for at least more options to stay safe. Parents would like to make a personal decision about kids going back to school, and I think that they have that right. But we need to provide options for them. If the COVID variant spreads in BC, then plans for in-class learning could change drastically. As of right now, kids will be back in the classroom January 4th. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. A man has been charged with the second-degree murder of a family member in Gibson's on Sunday. Sunshine Coast RCMP say Kevin Christopher Webster has been taken into custody in the death of Murrin Webster. Her body was discovered inside a home near Sargent Road and School Road 
And the integrated homicide investigation team has taken over the case. A local church identifies the victim as the mother of the man charged. The Christ the King Community Church has posted the Webster family is deeply loved by the church and that it is banding together to offer support for grieving family members. Kevin Webster is expected to make his first court appearance in Seashell January 6th. And we are learning more about the third victim of Tuesday's horrific highway crash in Chilliwack. Gabe Choi was on his way to work at Mountain Institution when his vehicle was hit by a driver going the wrong way on Highway 1. There has been an outpouring of support for Choi's family, with Choi being remembered for his positive energy. Hundreds have now donated more than $38,000 to a GoFundMe campaign in his memory. RCMP say police unsuccessfully tried to stop the wrong way driver using a spike belt. BC's police watchdog is now involved in the case. Vancouver police are looking for the suspect in a violent confrontation at a downtown store. Investigators released a photo of an unidentified man who allegedly sprayed bear repellent directly at an employee's face after he was asked about unpaid merchandise in his backpack. It happened on Tuesday afternoon at the London drugstore on Granville Street. The suspect fled before officers arrived on scene and police are asking anyone who recognizes the man to call them. The suspect is white. He's between 40 and 50 years old. He's about five foot five and has an average build. He was dressed in a black hooded sweater with a black jacket on top, dark blue jeans and a baseball cap with a yellow brim. He was carrying a black backpack and had a blue surgical face mask on. We are asking that if there's anybody out there who did witness this incident or anybody that recognizes uh, the suspect from the photo is asked to call us at 604-717-4021. The lingering impact of a ransomware attack on TransLink. A leaked memo shows who likely had their personal data compromised and what TransLink is doing about it in just over a minute. An impromptu performance in Golden Ears Park that a lot of people love, actually. How it went viral later. Also, a New Year's Eve like no other celebrated in certain ways around the world. And that's coming up later as well. Right now, though, details of the true extent of TransLink's ransomware attack has experts sounding the alarm that the personal information of some employees may have been compromised. And as Ted Chernecki reports, it's now prompting questions about TransLink's handling of the situation. TransLink is reiterating that no compass card or other commuter personal information is part of the ransomware attack. But just yesterday, thousands of employees learned that things like bank accounts, social insurance numbers, and other information has been accessed and presumably downloaded. Is that everybody? So it's about 4,200 drivers, plus we have about 1,000. Uh, 2,200 uh, uh, members and maintenance and sea bus workers. So all of us are affected right now. TransLink is offering to pay for two years of credit monitoring services to employees. They've offered us two-year credit monitoring. Uh, we're demanding at least five or more. The TransLink hack has again exposed what a cybersecurity expert believes is a flaw in Canada's credit system. 
Someone stealing your social insurance number leaves you vulnerable to identity theft. That couldn't happen if Canadians were able to freeze all their credit. In the U.S., as an example, you're able to freeze your credit. So even if your social security number, at least there in the States, is compromised, it's useless. Someone can't do, uh, do anything with it because it's in a frozen state. TransLink is taking some criticism for not being more transparent. Yeah, I would really like to see them be able to say, this is what we know. Here are the facts. Here are the things that we are still chasing down. You know, here are the assumptions that we're still trying to confirm. And here's the expected timelines for that. That, to me, is a level of transparency that especially a public-facing organization like TransLink should be offering the public as, as, as well as its employees. We notified employees yesterday and we'd found out just the day before that this information had been accessed uh, by these hackers. So I think we took every reasonable step to make notifications as soon as we could. Several law enforcement agencies are involved in the investigation and TransLink says it has not paid any ransom. Ted Chernacki, Global News. A long-haul trucker makes a startling discovery in the middle of the road. A frozen cat that had already been struck by another vehicle. How he saved its life, next on the News Hour. Also ahead, how time is running out to do some good and get a tax break. Busy but steady both ways tonight at the Lions Gate Bridge. The congestion varies with the lane configuration. Right now you've got two lanes south and one lane north. It's a little bit slow through the Stanley Park Causeway. Carmack Collision and Auto Glass have been family-run and locally owned since 1973. For unmatched quality repairs and exceptional service, choose Kermac. For location information, visit Kermac.com. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. A kitten is clawing its way back to life after being run over on an icy northern B.C. road. A semi-truck driver rescued the small tortoiseshell cat, peeling her frozen body off the road and rushing her to the nearest veterinary clinic. She was treated for hypothermia, a fractured knee and skin wounds. The kitten, who does not yet have a name, is slowly on the mend. BCSPCA are now asking for donations to help pay for her medical care. So far, more than $20,000 has been raised. Well, the clock is ticking down to midnight and also on the chance to donate to a Canadian charity while still being eligible for a tax credit. As Catherine Urquhart reports, smaller BC charities are hoping after a bleak year, people will dig deep in the final hours of 2020. A virtual train ride through bright nights at Stanley Park is lovely, but it's not the same as enjoying light displays up close on a crisp winter evening. The pandemic meant it couldn't go ahead, and that was a half-million-dollar financial hit for the BC Professional Firefighters Burn Fund, which helps burn survivors. It's money that won't be there to operate the programs that we do, uh, primarily everything from uh, providing uh, wound gauze and, and dressings to operating the kids' camps that we do. Many charities are hurting this year. The Learning Disabilities Society helps vulnerable children by providing customized support. Technology is a big part of that. Where prior to the pandemic, about 50% of our families would be on our internal bursary support fund. We're now looking at upwards of 85%. In a recent survey by Imagine Canada, 36% of British Columbians say COVID-19 has resulted in them giving less to charities in 2020. This as 46% of charities say demand for services has increased. Many are hopeful they'll soon receive a few more donations 
as this is the last day to get a tax receipt for 2020. It's really important that we remember that we are scarcely a person who is not served by, in some way, directly or indirectly, nonprofits and charities in our community. This is also the last day to buy Bright Nights 50/50 tickets. Our goal was to replace the half million dollars we lost, so we've got a little bit of ways to go there yet. We've got a few hours to get there. That magical train ride through Stanley Park may be just delayed until 2021, a year that hopefully will be brighter for everyone and all charities. Captain Urquhart, Global News. A classic name with old world origins held the top spot as the most popular baby name in BC for 2020. For the third year in a row, Olivia, Latin for olive, was once again the number one choice for parents welcoming girls in 2020. That was followed by Emma and Charlotte. For boys, it was Liam, Oliver, Noah, and Lucas. More than 39,000 babies were born in BC between January 1st and December 17th, 2020. No Chris's or Sophie's? No. That's it? Yeah. We're done. It's all over. <laughs> Up ahead, the St. Bart's vacation scandal. Uh, a dumb, dumb mistake. That bad decision that cost an Ontario politician his job. And the offer of compensation for BC families who lost loved ones in an Iranian air tragedy. Believe BC, featured on Global News Hour at 6, celebrates the innovative minds working together to reignite business throughout our province. Believe BC in partnership with Pacific Blue Cross, flexible small business health benefits for challenging times. Traffic is moving pretty well on all routes in and out of the downtown core, including Burrard and Camby Street Bridges. Much quieter than usual on New Year's Eve. Keep in mind there are lane closures for upgrades both ways at the Granville Street Bridge. Kermac Collision and Auto Glass provide no-cost windshield chip repairs with your insurance coverage. And Kermac donates 100% of their income from chip repairs through Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. The families of Canadian victims of Ukraine Flight 752 say the compensation now being offered by Iran is a slap in the face. The Iranian government has allocated $150,000 each to the loved ones of the passengers who were on the plane when it was shot down by Iranian forces. But many of those left behind say the money is not enough. Hamid Esmailion lost both his wife and nine-year-old daughter in the crash. He wants to see those responsible held to account in an international court of justice. I myself, I have nothing to lose. And I'm sure, you know, most of the families, they like to speak, but uh, uh, it's a very difficult time for them right now. Uh, they're all over the world. They're in UK, Sweden, um, U- United States, here in Canada. But, you know, they have one voice. All of us, we are united on this that uh, Iran should not be in charge of this investigation and Iran should pay for this uh, mass murder of 176 innocent people. Hamed says his frustration is increasing because a year later the investigation has gone nowhere. No timeline has been given by the Iranian government uh, when it comes to the compensation either. Ontario's finance minister has resigned after returning home from a highly criticized vacation to the Caribbean. Rod Phillips quit early today, just hours after touching down in Toronto. Global's Travis Donraj has the latest. The walk of shame through Pearson International Airport for a politician who clearly knows 
he did wrong. Ron Phillips, mea culpa? You know, a significant uh, error in judgment, uh, a dumb, dumb mistake. Was not enough to save his job as Ontario's finance minister. Premier Ford releasing a statement Thursday you. afternoon. Today, following my conversation with Rod Phillips, I have accepted his resignation as Ontario's Minister of Finance. At a time when the people of Ontario have sacrificed so much, today's resignation is a demonstration that our government takes seriously our obligation to hold ourselves to a higher standard. Very, very difficult. The optics of a jet-setting finance minister on a two-and-a-half-week-long pleasure trip, only returning to a province he helped put into lockdown after the story became public, clearly became too much for the premier to manage. I can tell you I'm, I'm very upset. He could have put a stop to it a couple of weeks ago. Instead, he chose to um, basically help Rod Phillips keep the secret that he was out of the country. And the only reason that we're dealing with this now is because they got caught. The optics are horrible. And I don't know what the finance minister was thinking going off to you know, an island vacation where the rich and famous go to play while we're in the middle of a crisis. So after losing his cabinet position, drawing the ire of Ontarians and drawing international attention, what now for Phillips? Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody makes errors in judgment. This was a pretty big one. Um, but, you know, if he wants a future in politics, I think he did the only thing that he could do. That future remains unclear right now. One thing that is clear, when it comes to the big decisions for Ontario, Rod Phillips will be watching from the back benches. Travis Stanrich, Global News. We are learning more about the new testing rules for air passengers arriving in this country. Richard Zussman tells us when the requirements will come into effect and how it's all going to work. There's been a lot of scrambling from those abroad and those at the airlines to try to figure out exactly what this plan will look like. And late today, we got some specifics around what it will look like. Transport Canada says that as of January 7th at midnight, travelers five years old and older will be required to have that negative PCR flight before boarding an airplane heading into Canada from outside of the country. That test must be conducted within 72 hours of flying and the airlines will be the ones who are collecting the test. But there are a lot of questions from the airlines. They say they have been advocating for a testing program for six months now and were not given any advance notice when the plan was actually announced yesterday. Now they're trying to figure out exactly how they are going to implement this with very few specifics in terms of what they can and can't do if someone does not have that negative test as the deadline quickly approaches. We are working now to find out uh, details and answers to some very uh, basic questions then as to how this will roll out and what the obligations will be. Even with the negative test, those traveling back to Canada will still need to quarantine for 14 days. And that side of things is what has the provinces concerned. Both Quebec and British Columbia and other provinces have been pushing the federal government to provide additional supports to check on those who are in quarantine including follow-up phone calls. This is especially important, according to health officials from across the country, because we know the COVID-19 variant is now here, and health officials are hoping the federal government now will step up to provide more resources to do those checks for those who are required to be in isolation. Richard Zosman, Global News, Victoria. 
Well, the holidays are usually filled with happiness and hope as we're surrounded by family and friends. But inside hospitals, it's been a season more difficult than any before. Healthcare workers are in overdrive, trying to keep up with both surging patient loads in Alberta and the unprecedented emotional toll it's taking on them. Here's Lauren Pullen. We've got to figure out how to be resilient at the same time allowing ourselves to grieve. From the front lines of Alberta hospitals, it's a heart-wrenching reality like never before. The number of times I'm making the phone call to families to say there's nothing more that I can do. I was doing that four or five, six times a day. I try to find a space where I can be alone when I'm making these phone calls because nine out of 10 times I'm crying with the loved one that's on that phone because the emotion is too much. It's, it's, it, as a human being, forget as a physician or as a healthcare or as a human being, to hear the despair and to hear the sheer emotion in, in the other end, it's hard not to get caught up in that. It's, it's truly unlike no, no other holiday season that I've seen. Along with caring for a surging number of patients, healthcare workers are now often that final human touch. At the end of one's life, especially if uh, you know, you've had a, a good battle in the ICU and you haven't uh, you know, been able to make it, you know, you're usually um, able to be surrounded by all of your loved ones with uh, all of the support that you know, and really makes it very tragic in that, you know, many of these people are often dying uh, without their family members there. And it's incredibly difficult on everyone. It's an emotional toll that's still sinking in, but it's camaraderie that's helped get them through. I think what I'll look back on and remember most is just the teamwork that took place to manage this within the, the healthcare team and the resiliency of the team uh, to handle this as well. And while the vaccine is a ray of hope, there's also still a lot left in this fight. One of the things that our colleagues and, and all healthcare providers hope is that people who aren't in healthcare are continuing to do what they need to do so that we can get through this so that next holiday isn't like this. I think we, if we can sacrifice for this year, uh, next year we should be all be able to come back together. Lauren Pullen, Global News. Later, a charming Vermont home with some unusual features. And there is no light. Why you get a lot of rooms for a great price. And it might feel like a lockdown here, but Dubai and other cities held nothing back as they welcomed in 2021. Wow, that is something else. That's a live shot of New York Times, New York City's Times Square. Normally it would be packed with people celebrating the last few hours of the year. But as you can see, things look a lot different tonight. For the first time in decades, Times Square is closed to the public, and the only people in it are frontline health care workers and their families. They're watching the show in separated viewing areas, and the crystal ball will be dropped tonight at midnight to ring in 2021. Uh, some traditions you just can't cancel. After Christie's forecast, we'll take a look at other New Year's Eve celebrations from around the world. Now, just before we get to Christie's forecast, we have some video of avalanche control measures southwest of Revelstoke. This big blast recorded by the B.C. Ministry of Transportation, it happened along Highway 1 in Three Valley Gap. The area was closed to motorists while the work was taking place. The slide sent about 40 centimeters of snow onto the highway, which crews then worked to clear. They always do a good job sharing some of the video mm -hmm. that they do in avalanche control up there. Backcountry is going to be 
a terrible place to be mm -hmm. over the next few days. We got uh, a little bit of info mm -hmm. from Christy earlier, and the storm continues, Christy. That's exactly right. And for those of you that maybe missed it, what we're talking about is a high avalanche risk in all parts of the mountains. So treeline and alpine for the South Coast Mountains and the Sea to Sky. And I know they'll be doing a ton of avalanche control on the highways over the next few days. But here's why. Look at this. This is the system that's on deck. Another wave. Another wave. It is relentless over the next little while. And it does mean snow for the mountain areas. Lower down here in the lower mainland, we're talking about. Oh, let me back it up here. Oh, no. Sorry, everyone. This is what I wanted to show you. This is the snowfall warning that's in place for the Coquihalla. So between Hope and Merritt, as well as Allison Pass, we're talking about 25 centimeters of snow along with gusty conditions. So reduced visibility. This is through Saturday morning. So the next 24 hours at least, as well, snowfall warnings in the far northern regions, especially Pine Pass. Uh, so travel will be really treacherous right through, as I said, the day tomorrow and even snow over lower terrain overnight tonight. A lot of these areas, though, will see a transition to rain during the day tomorrow. More, so a bit of a warm-up. Now, for the South Coast, the rain is just about to ramp up, and we are going to see the heavy rain likely right around uh, midnight tonight, hopefully keeping everyone inside and safe. We do have rainfall warnings in place, as well as a wind warning for the east coast of Vancouver Island. Gusts up to 90 kilometers an hour, and those strongest gusts will likely be tomorrow morning for you. Metro Vancouver, the strongest or heaviest rain will be along the North Shore and in northeastern Metro Vancouver, not as much further south, which is, tends to be the case. Here's your forecast for your first day of 2021 everyone. So snow in through the far north, snow overnight for these areas transitioning to rain. And for our region, wind and rain, not only tomorrow, but Saturday also. We may catch a little bit of a brief break on Saturday, sorry, Sunday, I mean, but not much of one before the rain comes right back in on Monday and it will be heavy at times. All right, here's your central windows weather window for tonight. Thank you to Joelle Wall. And this was the snowfall, of course, over a vineyard. I thought it was <laughs> apropos for the snow that we've had as well as New Year's Eve. Thank you to Joelle. Well. <laughs> a little ice wine maybe mm -hmm. this weekend. Thank you, Christy. Well, before we get to New Year's Eve celebrations around the world, we want to show you an impromptu performance that wowed people enjoying Golden Ears Park on Christmas Day. Katrina Dix captured someone singing Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You and started recording. She later posted it to the local Facebook group and members were able to track down the mystery singer and identify her as Vicki McNamara from the UK. Vicki says she is not a prof professional singer, but she just really enjoys it. She says all of the comments on the video made her Christmas. She couldn't travel back home to see her family. Uh, by the way, you should be a professional singer. Uh, yeah, you, <laughs> you know what? If your day job doesn't work out, <laughs> fall back on singing. You'll yeah. be okay. All right, many cities around the world have already welcomed in 2021. And while in some places like New York City, celebrations were scaled down, other places were able to host large gatherings. Incredible images from New Zealand tonight. A giant crowd, no masks. Life basically back to normal as they ring in the new year in the small island nation where COVID cases have been virtually eliminated. One this year to be a more, 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 more happier than last year. In Australia, fireworks soared above a mostly empty Sydney harbour. While in the Chinese city Wuhan, where COVID-19 originated, thousands packed the city centre to celebrate. 
In Europe, festivities and traditions were curtailed by lockdowns and curfews. Statues and monuments in London barricaded off. Berlin banning fireworks. Rome and St. Peter's Square empty. Inside the basilica, a socially distanced mass took place without the Pope. Across the continent, abandoned streets and an uncanny quiet as the world says farewell to a year few will miss, but no one will forget. Dubai does fireworks pretty well, don't mm -hmm. they? I still can't believe those shots of New York City's Times Square, which is just empty. It's crazy. Amazing. Yeah, I crazy. can't believe that woman and her baby in New Zealand were wearing Aaron Rodgers' Green Bay Packer uniforms. They both had Green Bay Packer uniforms. That's right. You'd expect Clearly all blacks rugby. Apparently the Packers are worldwide. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, ask Chanel about that. I know. He's one of the owners of the team. Uh, we'll show you Canada winning again at the World Junior Hockey Championship, still unbeaten. Also, the Seahawks are in the playoffs as NFC West Division champs. But for DK Metcalf, West Division champion is not enough. I mean, a division title is, is great and all, um, but, you know, we have our, our eyes set on, uh, you know, Super Bowls. It's a bit of a long shot, but if all goes well this weekend, DK and the Seahawks could end up as the NFC's top seed. And later, a real estate listing in a beautiful setting, but rooms with no view. The unusual home for sale coming up. Gone rogue on me. Squares. He's talking about Squares' hair right now. We're Doing running things. low on hairspray in the makeup. <laughs> I never use the hairspray. I, I like the ozone layer. <laughs> wow. Well, aren't you superior to the rest of us? I just use a lot of goop. A lot of goop. Uh, which is probably also not very nice. Uh, most of Team Canada's players hadn't played since the pandemic stopped junior hockey last March. But their talent and practice habits certainly have acted as a bit of a rust remover. Canada will go to the knockout round unbeaten after dominating Finland today. And it was a game that we thought might be closer. Everyone thought the Finns would give the Canadians more of a challenge. Uh-uh. Alex Newhook, former BCHL star, not a great game for him. Started the game in the face-off circle, but this game ended right there. Upper body injury didn't come out for the second period. All right, Canada's first goal, Dylan Cousins. Watch this shot. Doesn't look at the net yet, yet, now. Everyone's thinking pass, now he fires it, and the captain makes it one nothing. Another Dylan. Dylan Holloway, but this is more Jacob Pelche. His shot basically hits Holloway on the way in. Canada dominated, especially in the first two periods. It was like the Finns never got out of their own end. It could have been a lot worse score-wise. And then Bowen Byron with the Vancouver Giants with the puck, still with the puck. Don't have to shoot it hard. Just get it on net, rebound, and Peyton Krebs knocks it in. One more look. Yeah, Byram just finds the seam, and Krebs finds a rebound, and Canada finds itself in a quarterfinal game Saturday against the Czech Republic. Well, during November, the Seattle Seahawks changed the name of their stadium from Century Link Field to Lumen Field. Same sponsor, but the company changed its name, so the stadium changed as well. But it really doesn't matter what that stadium has been called. It started out as Seahawks Stadium, then it was Quest Field before Century Link and Lumen. Seattle has always been tough to play at home. Even without fans this year, they were still tough to play. And they'll get at least one home playoff game, but if things go well this weekend, they could get all their playoff games at Lumen Field. They convert. Wilson, end zone, Hollister, touchdown! 
The Seahawks have guaranteed themselves a home playoff date by clinching the NFC West, and they are 7-1 at Lumen Field, so they wouldn't mind guaranteeing home playoff dates throughout the postseason. That would mean getting the number one seed, which is still possible, but not probable. Seattle needs to beat San Francisco and hope both Green Bay and New Orleans lose their finales. You know, we, we, we all set to have bigger goals. Um, I mean, a division title is, is great and all, um, but, you know, we have our, our eyes set on, uh, you know, Super Bowl. So uh, take it one game at a time and, and finish out the season strong and carry our momentum into the playoffs. You don't want to have that mental drought going into the, uh, the playoffs. So everybody needs to stay locked in. Everybody knows that's where we're at with it. And, you know, coaches' messages, our messages kind of been that way. Even if they don't get the number one seed, Seattle wants to keep the momentum going by taking down a 49ers team that won the NFC Championship last year. But due to a large amount of injuries, won't be back in the playoffs this year. But the fact they beat a hungry Arizona team last week shows the Niners won't be easy pickings for the Seahawks. They have all of that in their heart and their background and, and their experience, their coaching staff, all of that. And for them to withstand all of the, the challenges that they've had and to hold it, you know, and, and be able to come back and keep playing football games where they play really good across the board. I mean, that's just a, a statement of wh who they are. The Niners haven't been able to play a home game in San Francisco for a month because of COVID restrictions in the Bay Area. So the game will be played at the Arizona Cardinals home stadium in Phoenix. Just another odd situation in a year full of them. Yeah, everything's strange. It doesn't really matter where we play these games, you know, because there's nobody there. It, it doesn't have anything to do with the, with the venue, you know, Tess. We're pretty comfortable and familiar with going there, so that's a good thing. It's just been an, another unusual issue in a, in a season. We're playing in somebody else's stadium, you know, so that's how it goes. The Raptors haven't won a game yet. They're 0-3 to start the season. Norm Powell in tonight because Pascal Siakam hasn't been playing well, so he gets to sit on the bench, and Powell drives and dunks. Had nine points in the first half. R.J. Barrett, one of the best young Canadian players out there, playing for the Knicks. Barrett handles it, gets by Davis. Nice little move. It was 42-42 at halftime, but the Raptors much better in the second half. Another Canadian, Chris Boucher, makes the three-pointer. Wow, the Raptors have just won it. 183 over the Knicks, so they finally get a win. Look at this. This is the end of the game today. The Armed Forces Bowl seems appropriate, doesn't it? Mississippi State and Tulsa, they were chirping each other right from the start of the game. And at the end of the game, it turned into a roadhouse. I'm sure there's going to be some sort of penalty laid on both of these teams after what happened today. This went on for a while, actually. But as I said, it was the Armed Forces Bull. Maybe they took that too literally. There you go. Unbelievable. All right, thank you, Square. Up next, the real estate deal that could get you life behind bars without ever actually committing a crime. Real estate listing in rural Vermont is attracting some international attention. The quaint house close to the Canadian border has many features of a typical family home. Four bedrooms and two bathrooms. But there's an added bonus steeped in history that might just lock up a new buyer. 
In quiet Guildhall, Vermont, this 1870s home boasts four bedrooms, views of the White Mountains, easy access to snowmobile trails, and something unusual. It has a lot of character. Real estate agent Jennifer Allen. And there is no light. Taking us into the former jail that's included. There will not be another person that you probably would ever know in your life that owns a jailer's house in an attached jail. See, Guildhall's home to the historic court for Essex County. It sits just two doors down. The person in charge of holding suspects before their hearings, he used to live in the house the jail's built into. The cells here haven't been used for more than 50 years. Wow. This woman was providing a video tour for a friend out of state considering the listing as a possible vacation home. What would you do with the jail space? It would not be something that would be a selling point for me at all. But the sellers... It's fun, full of history. ...insist the wing with that row of old bars made their address really memorable. People would ask questions like, could I come see it? Or, oh, that's the old jail, and is it haunted? And I just tell people, hey... You decide for yourself. Linda Rothluber telling us before she moved away, she batted around the idea of cleaning up the long-neglected jail and converting it into a short-term rental business. And have, you know, like bed linens that were black and white striped and have complimentary orange robes or, you know, that kind of stuff. But yeah, and serve food through the little slots, you know. Now the property, offered at $149,000, is already under deposit. So this tour was really just for a possible backup offer. The listing agent is certain whoever moves in next will be locking down one heck of a conversation starter. And it has a lot to offer the right person. <laughs> creepy. Creepy, so indeed. Creepy. Just uh, creepy. You guys, we made it. Five hours left. <laughs> Five hours left in 2020. We want to thank all of you for hanging with us this year. It's been, it's been weird, but we're going to do it all again in 2021. That's right. Well, hopefully better. Hopefully better, yes. <laughs> Happy New Year, everybody. Happy, Happy New, New Year. Year. Happy See you New next year. year.